Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. One of the exciting things about being alive is that we are a part of this world. And in this world, there are many things that we can do, we can see, we can explore. We can take the things that are around us and we can create new things out of those things that we can find. We have wonderful opportunities in the life that we have to explore, to discover, to create. But when we live our lives and we encounter the world that we are a part of, it can be very difficult to avoid the question of where did everything come from? How did we get here? How did the things that are here get here? What is the origin of life? What is the origin of this world? Where did it come from? How did things get started? And when people explore the world and discover the things that are here, sometimes it can be very difficult to avoid the evidence that shows that someone created the world that we are a part of. Someone created us. There seems to be a significant amount of evidence that shows that that could very well be the case. And unfortunately, people do not pursue this evidence as much as I personally think people should pursue this evidence, that if there is evidence to suggest that there might be a design, then that means that there might be a designer. If there is evidence to show that there are complexities that are beyond the realm of probability in terms of things just sort of spontaneously occurring, spontaneously generating, if that's the case, then we should take this seriously. I personally believe that in everyone's life, at some point, a person will ask the question, if not of somebody else, they'll ask this question of themselves, is there a God? Is there a God? Is there not a God? I think that this is a very important question. I have found that most people will answer this question with some form of humor, usually. But I believe that this is a very serious question, that a person should ask this question, and that if you are asking this question, or you have asked this question, you should seriously consider the answer to this question, is there a God or is there not a God? Now, if I assume that there is a God, and we are asking this question, then to me, there is something seriously wrong. Seriously wrong. I mean, if there is a God, and we're asking the question of if there is or if there isn't, then that tells me that there is a serious problem. There is something wrong with either God or with us. Because you would think that if there was a God, that he wouldn't have any problem communicating with us in such a way that we would have this question answered. And so... We have to consider, is there something wrong with God? Did he fail to communicate with us in some way? Is he dysfunctional in some way? Did some other God maybe take him captive or something? 
What happened? What was the situation? What is our condition that we are in that puts us in this situation where we are asking this kind of a question? I mean, to me, there is something seriously wrong here. And if there is something seriously wrong, if this is true, then there is either something wrong with God or there's something wrong with us. Now, as I have encountered people throughout my life, I have come to discover that the suggestion that there is something wrong with us is unacceptable. For the most part, people do not want to consider the possibility that there is something wrong with them or something wrong with us. So, by default, if a person is asking the question, is there a God or not, then they are assuming from this question, for the most part, they're assuming that there must be something wrong with God, that there has to be something wrong with him, because we're asking this kind of a question. We might have debates with other people about this kind of a question. We might be searching for evidence, whereas if there was a God, it should be a little bit more obvious, things like that. It is very unusual to find someone. It's very unusual to encounter a person who will consider the possibility that there might be something wrong with them. That is the assumption that I'm going to make, though. I'm going to assume that there is nothing wrong with God. Instead, there is something wrong with us. I will have to start somewhere, and so that's where I'm going to start. If you want to assume that there is something wrong with God, that I personally think you ought to consider some other issues, such as what is the definition of God, and if you were to give some thought to that, I don't think it would take you very long before you would realize that there probably isn't anything wrong with God, and then you would come to realize that there probably is something wrong with you, and then I think you will appreciate what I'm going to tell you. And that is that if there is something wrong with you, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? Now, if you consider the possibilities, you might find yourself discovering that there might be nothing that you can do about that. And I'll talk about that in a few minutes. But for the moment, I would just like you to consider the fact that there is something wrong with you. Now, it turns out that we have a description of what God has said to people in the past, and I'm going to refer to the Bible as that description of what God has had to say in the past about the nature of the problem between man and God. And of course, you may not personally believe in the Bible, but that's okay. You should at least be very familiar with what is contained within the Bible. You should be aware of it, if for any reason, because it's a very important text to many people. But in the scriptures, in the Bible, what we have is we have a description of what the problem is between man and God. It has to do with what happened shortly after God created Adam and Eve, when he first created humanity. Now, in Genesis chapter 1 and in Genesis chapter 2, we have a description of the creation of man. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to skip ahead to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. This is the creation of humanity. God breathed within man, and in the language that this was written in, it's a little bit more descriptive. What it says is, is that he breathed within man his very spirit. The spirit of life 
was breathed within humanity, and because of the presence of the Holy Spirit of God within his creation, because of his presence within humanity, humanity was declared to be alive. Now, he had created the animals and the plants previously. They were considered to be alive, but they were alive in a physical sense, With regards to the animals, they had a little bit more capability than the plants did, but humanity had the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within them. And then, shortly after he created humanity, he put them in the garden, the Garden of Eden, and then he gave some rules. He said, you are here, you are here to look after the garden, you are here to eat whatever you would like to eat, with one exception, and that is from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'll begin in Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 15, where he said, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now, the Lord spoke to Adam and Eve and told them that they were not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he told them that the penalty that they would experience would be death if they did that. Now, if you keep reading, you keep reading to Genesis chapter 3, you will discover that they ate from the wrong tree. They broke the law. They ate from the wrong tree. But if you keep reading, you'll discover that they seem to be alive. They seem to be quite active for a couple of dead people. They leave the Garden of Eden. Eve has children. Adam works the ground. Adam lived to be 930 years old. They seem to be quite active for a couple of dead people. What does this mean? What does it mean to say that they died when they continue to live? Well, there are many people who have speculated about this. One of the most popular is for people to say that Adam was going to die He entered into a state such that he would eventually die, but that there was a little bit of a delay. Many people have read these verses from that point of view, but I personally believe that there is a direct connection between the creation of Adam, the creation of humanity, and the fall of humanity. I believe that there is a direct connection. And what I mean by that is that the life that was breathed within Adam and Eve, that made them alive, is the very life that was taken from them in the day that they ate from the wrong tree. What was given to them? It was the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God, referred to as the Spirit of life, was given to them. They became a living being. But because of their rejection of God, they refused to believe God. They believed the serpent instead. They did not believe God because of that, They rejected him, and he withdrew his spirit from within them, leaving them in a condition of being dead. This, to me, is the description of the problem of humanity. That humanity died. Everyone died in Adam. When Adam violated the law, he experienced the penalty in that day, as God declared it, that in the day 
that he ate from the wrong tree, and that day he would surely die. And when that day arrived, the spirit of life was removed from within Adam, and he became spiritually dead. And everyone who was born from Adam and Eve, which includes everyone, has been born into this world spiritually dead, without the presence of the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within them. That is the condition of humanity, and I believe that that is a clear description of what is wrong with us. As I said previously, there probably isn't anything wrong with God. There most certainly, in my opinion, is something wrong with us, and I believe that this is the description of what is wrong with us. We are dead. We are dead to God, and that is why we do not know who He is. That is why we ask the question of, is there a God or not? Because we are dead to him. We are very much alive in another sense, in the sense of this world that he has created, in the sense of this world that we are a part of. Certainly, we have a mind, we have emotions, we have a will to choose with. I understand that. But there is something missing from within us. There is something missing inside everyone. I believe everyone can acknowledge this, can sense that there is something missing. And I believe that what is missing, that we were created to have, is the presence of our God within us. But when we are born into this world, we are born spiritually dead. And this was because of the sin of Adam and Eve when they rejected God. They refused to believe God, and that was their sin. Their sin was unbelief. They did not believe what God said. So this to me describes the problem between man and God, and I will call this the bad news. This is the bad news. But in light of the bad news, there is also some good news. And the good news is what we normally refer to as the gospel, which just simply means good news. But what is the gospel? What is the good news? Well, the good news can only be understood in the context of the bad news, because the good news is a solution to a problem. But if you don't know what the problem is, then how are you going to understand or appreciate the solution? It will have virtually no meaning at all. Let me give you a simple example. Consider a basic mathematical problem, something like 2 plus 2 equals 4. 2 plus 2 equals 4. What would happen if I just simply said four? Four. You might think that I might have a psychological or emotional problem or something. What am I doing just saying four? Am I talking about a golf ball that might hit your forehead or something? What does it mean to say four? It means nothing. Unless you understand that I'm talking about two plus two or five minus one or one plus three. Something like that. You must have the problem in order to understand and appreciate the solution. So also, without understanding the bad news, there is no way that you're going to be able to fully appreciate the significance and the implications of the good news. So the Lord our God, the one who created us, he recognized our condition This condition of being spiritually dead. And if you consider that this is the problem, what are you going to do about it? What can you do about it? Do you have the ability to create life 
in the sense that you have the ability to create within you the Spirit of God. Now, through your imagination, you might be able to do something along those lines, but it is not going to be real because there is only one God and He is the only one who has the creative capacity to be able to make this world, to make us, to create us and to create life. He has reserved this for Himself. If you are going to have the spirit of life that was lost in Adam restored to you, You're not going to be able to do it. I can't do it. The only one who can give to you the Spirit of God Himself is God Himself. And so your only hope is His mercy. Your only hope is the mercy of God that He will solve this problem. And it turns out that He did. He did this through what He described as a Messiah, a Savior. He personally showed up here on earth and he started from the womb and went all the way to the tomb. He came and lived among us as a man, very discreetly. For those who did not want to know who he is, for those who did not want to believe in who he is, he allowed them to reject him. But for those who want to see him and know him for who he is, He has provided the means by which we may know him for who he truly is. And I believe that the Lord Jesus was God manifested in the flesh who came here personally to deal with this problem that began with Adam and Eve. Now, this problem has two parts to it. The first problem is the sin problem. And of course, I described sin as unbelief, and we certainly do not believe our God. Our life is a reflection of our unbelief in Him through the various sins that we commit against Him and against the things and the people who He has created. So there is a sin issue, and I believe that He personally came to deal with that issue, and the way that He decided to deal with that issue was by dying for the sins of the entire world. And of course, there is a lot to be said about that for the sake of time, I'm going to have to simply say that God decided to give his own life in exchange for ours in this abstract sense in order to say that he dealt with the entire sin issue of humanity by providing adequate compensation for it. There is, of course, a lot to be said about this subject, but that's as far as I'm going to be able to go with regards to the subject of sin and forgiveness for now. He forgave the sin of humanity, and the way that he decided to do that was to come and personally live and die on our behalf. But he did that for a reason. That is not what saves us. To deal with the sin problem doesn't deal with the whole problem. The problem was not just the sin that was committed, first by Adam and also by all of us. The problem has to do with the loss of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was lost in the Garden of Eden. It was lost through Adam. That is the problem that needs to be restored, and this is why he forgave the sin of humanity. He forgave the sin of humanity so that he could restore to us, for those of us who are willing to receive the life that had been lost in Adam, the Holy Spirit of God. He is offering his Holy Spirit to anyone who is willing, truly, to receive who he is and what he has to offer, he will grant the spirit of life to us freely. 
And when we receive the Holy Spirit that had been lost in Adam, then we will be made alive. Now, what caused the Holy Spirit to depart from Adam in the beginning? It was his sin, which was the expressed manifestation of his unbelief in God. So what happens when we express our unbelief in God through our continual struggle or our experiences with sin? Well, according to the law of sin and death, the Holy Spirit should depart from within us the next time we sin. But there is a reason why the Holy Spirit will not depart from within us, and that reason is because he has dealt with the sin issue through the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus on the cross. It's because he dealt with the sin of the world that there is no sin that will cause the Holy Spirit to depart from within us. So the life that we now have is by definition an eternal life or an everlasting life that we can experience right now, today, and will also carry us on into eternity after we physically die. So forgiveness reconciles us to God, but it is his resurrection, it is the restoration of the Holy Spirit that saves us, saves us from the condition of being spiritually dead. In Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 8, it says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Reconciliation took place through the death of his Son, and salvation took place through his resurrection and through the restoration of life, the restoration of the Holy Spirit that was lost in Adam. That is the good news. This is the gospel. And when he resurrects you and makes you alive, it is then that he can begin to communicate with you personally, individually, in a unique way that, of course, will not contradict the things that he has already had to say, but he will begin to reveal himself to you so that the question of is there a God or not will quickly be answered by him personally as he reveals himself to you. This is the gospel. Embrace the truth that he has revealed. Be made alive and turn to him for who he is and he will guide you and lead you into all truth. Now, if you are a person who does not believe the Bible, if you are a person who does not believe that there is a God, I really want to take this opportunity to encourage you to revisit this subject. Because I believe, I really do believe, that if you will be devoted and sincere in your pursuit, that you will eventually find enough evidence that will convince you, or at least will confront you, with what I believe is the truth, that there is a God, and that the Bible is the testimony of who he is, of what he has said, and that if you refuse to believe what he has revealed, then there will be eternal consequences that I believe are serious, are important, 
and that it is in your interest to resolve these matters now, because the day is coming when the Lord our God will no longer allow you to be a part of this world that he has created. There will be an end, and the new beginning that you will experience after the end of your life will be a life with him or without him. And I am very confident in saying that you do not want to be without the true and living God at that time. For those of you who identify themselves as Christians, you probably have never heard the gospel explained in this way. It's very unusual to hear someone explain the gospel in the context of sin, death, and then forgiveness and the restoration of life. But if you are resurrected, then the Spirit of God will testify within your being that what I have said is true. But there are consequences to this. If you did not understand this before, then the faith that you have that has been built on a poor understanding of the gospel is unstable. And so revisit everything from the beginning. Begin with what the bad news is. Follow through with a clear understanding of what the good news is. And then be very cautious. Be very careful. Because there is what seems to be an unlimited amount of teaching that is in the Christian world that contradicts what I have just described as the gospel. Contradicts the restoration of the Holy Spirit to suggest things such as you might lose the Holy Spirit. You might not be able to maintain or sustain the resurrected life that you have. That is a contradiction of the definition of the gospel that I just explained. And in addition to that, there is an abundance of teaching that contradicts what I just described concerning forgiveness. Either the sin issue between us and our God is over, or it is not. And unfortunately, most of the people who I have encountered will say that they believe in the complete forgiveness of sins. However, there are other things that they say and believe that contradicts that. And so revisit everything from the beginning. In addition to that, I wanted to mention that all of the programs that I have produced are available for free on the Internet in my radio archive at livinggodministries.net. Take advantage of that. You will grow in your faith and your knowledge of the living God and the one who he has sent. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.